The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Derek Dorch of the Diversa Group, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch. Derek walks you through how to win government jobs, effectively manage your government career, and best utilize government services. Every week on Fed Access, you'll learn about interesting federal agencies, workers, and careers. Fed Access provides you the access you need to succeed in the federal government. And now your host, Derek T. Dorch. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. As always, we are so glad to have you on joining us with the show. We are going to be having an interesting conversation today and talking about military technology. And we're going to be talking about what's going on, some advancements that's going on in the military technology realm. There's uh, so many different research projects and so many different things that are going on to deal with just upcoming threats or just current threats. We've got on us, we've got Stu Magnuson. He's the editor-in-chief of National Defense Magazine. And National Defense Magazine is the magazine for the association, the National Defense Industrial Association. And we'll talk about that a little bit today. Stu, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Derek. Hey, give us some background before we get into these kind of military tech. Uh, you know, give us some background about your magazine and NDIA, the association that you guys, you know, represent a number of different things. I've been to some of your events, and they've always been uh, a really, really insightful. Give us some layout about what's going on with NDIA and with your magazine. Well, uh, the magazine itself, we provide uh, independent news analysis for our members and readers in general. We're uh, we're online for free. You don't have to have a password or anything like that. NationalDefenseMagazine.org. We're coming up on our 100th anniversary as an association and the magazine. The magazine uh, started in 1920. So uh, it began as Army Ordnance Magazine and covered pretty much the world of Army, uh-huh. uh, firepower, and so on. And later just became ordinance, and then the 1970s the association uh, became, uh, you know, larger uh, and uh, more encompassing, and that's when we changed our name to National Defense Magazine. You know, with all of that and what you guys have been covering, you probably have just, you know, even with Army Ordnance, you know, from the beginning, from the origins, you probably have seen a, a, a wide change in terms of just the growth of military technology, military ordnance, the, the systems that are out there, to, you know, the, the capacity of these systems. Would you say that, you know, it's just constantly growing? Well, yeah. I mean, if I look at the first issues of that magazine back in 1920, there were they were hauling cannons uh, by horses. So uh, <laughs> things have changed right. a lot, and uh, and uh, it's definitely uh, very fascinating because I have all the back issues here in my office, and uh, I can just pull anyone out randomly, and uh, I'd just be endlessly fascinated with what was uh, occurring back in the 50s or 60s and even 10 years ago, right. quite a few changes. Right, 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 right. You know, in, in terms of looking at military technology, and, and, and even before I get into this, what are you guys doing to celebrate? Are you guys doing a special issue, you know, as you're coming up on, on, on this kind of, you know, uh, celebration of how long you've been in the game? Well, that's kind of to be announced, but okay. we are definitely, as an association, looking ahead to that and starting some uh, early plans. And definitely, uh, I'm, I'm already starting to run a little uh, piece in the magazine, uh, magazine-only content. And once a month, I'm kind of picking out a story from our back issues uh, and talking about the way things have uh, changed. So I call it "Blast from the Past," which is kind of a little, kind of a little cute, trying to harken back to our <laughs> days as Arnie Ordnance right. Association. So. Uh, 
So, yeah, we're, we are gearing up for that. Well, that's going to be interesting. I'm going to definitely check that out. You know, as we look at, at, at military technology, I saw some very, very interesting stuff when I was reading about this kind of the hypersonic arms race. You know, when we hear about hypersonic, I mean, you know, it, it, it sounds almost a little bit scary or it sounds almost, you know, so futuristic or something we've seen in the movies, right? You know, talk to us about what that's about. Well, hypersonics, it's, it's not a new uh, concept. Uh, basically, the, the definition is anything over Mach 5. Mm-hmm. And once you get past Mach 5, you run into all sorts of very challenging technical problems. Uh, you're going so fast that you know some materials start to melt, for example. And so uh, the military has long looked at this technology as kind of a breakthrough and... Uh, for missiles or even aircraft, and uh, there's a couple of different approaches to it. But unfortunately, our rivals, China and Russia, are have been looking at the same thing. So what's scary is a few weeks ago when Russia, Vladimir Putin, announced that they had some kind of missile that could reach uh, Mach 10. Mm. So do we believe them? Right. I don't know. Right, right. Uh, and I just recently was at one of our uh, conferences down in Austin, Texas, where a senior Pentagon official did say publicly on the record that, that yeah, they, meaning China and Russia, were ahead of us in some aspects of hypersonics. Hmm. So that was kind of a big admission. And, uh, of course, she was purposely being vague. A lot of this is classified. And mm-hmm. I don't have any special knowledge of what particular parts that might be ahead of us uh, or not. and uh, But I do know that, I, you know, if they could go Mach 10, there should have been a test at some point. Right. Certainly our, uh, our spy satellites would have picked that up like a, you know, a big flare going right. off. So right. Right. we would have seen that. I, I would... Uh, you know, anything that comes out of Russia with all the misinformation going on, you have to be <laughs> very cautious. Yeah. But on the other hand, there's no doubt that China and Russia are very aggressively pursuing this technology as well. So we are in the latest budget trying to step up our game and putting more money towards uh, hypersonics. You, you know, when, as, as we look at certain things, I mean, of course, you know, it, it used to be the time or it may still be, depending on people's perceptions, that we were definitely the number one, uh, uh, you know, military uh, country in the world. Right. I mean, of course, we put them uh, a large amount of money. Are we seeing and, and, and we've seen certain increases. Are we starting to see a rededication of resources towards military uh, spending in China, Russia and other countries to kind of now uh, become equivalent of what U.S. is doing or are are they beginning to target uh, uh, just certain kind of key technologies, like a hypersonic weapon or other things of that sort? What are we seeing? Right. Well, what, what we know now is they have both gone to school on us. Okay. Uh, they've watched what we've done in Iraq uh, and ever since then. And just like we do, they want to find out where we are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we want to know where they're vulnerable. And they spend a lot of time figuring that out. And what we've has come dribbling out of China, for example, is they see our space systems as vulnerable, that we depend a lot on them. They see our dependence on the network, cyber, mm-hmm. as a vulnerability. We depend a lot on that, communicate mm-hmm. with each other. As you know, in a battle, if you can cut off your opponent's communications, then they're, right. they're in big trouble. They the command of communication. Mm-hmm. 
and space is a big part of that. And they they see these, and of course, they're going to start devise ways to attack these these vulnerabilities, our Achilles heels. And uh, we know that, and uh, the military knows that, and they are, of course, trying to, you know, take means to uh, guard these systems. Right, uh, right. It's been... Space is now really considered a war-fighting domain, whereas 20 years ago it was called the ultimate high ground, and we had it. And, but now uh, you can't say that. Right, right. So, and, and we're seeing more and more uh, uh, countries starting to put satellites and other uh, tools into space. Um, you know, we just had uh, something coming down from China, um, right? And 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 and, and so, I, is, is, is as you're covering this, are you starting to see? Uh, the Pentagon and our military leaders and our national security leaders really begin to look at this domain as just becoming something a lot more serious as it relates to, you know, are, are we going to start to see the, uh, a number of uh, almost the militarization of space where we've got, uh, you know, spaceships that are out there. I'm, I'm thinking about like Star Trek and other things like mm-hmm. that. You know, are we going to start seeing, is that something that you're hearing? I mean, I, it, it sounds science fiction, but I'm just curious, what are you hearing out there? Well, definitely. They see it as a place where battles on Earth will extend into space Hmm. and cyberspace. And there's some of cyber goes through space through our communication satellites. Uh, As far as, uh, you know, there are treaties out there about weaponizing space, and we we adhere to them. But uh, 2007, I believe it was, China shot down one of its own satellites in the anti-satellite test and then a little bit later we uh we demonstrated the capability that we could do that also and uh so ever since then that was definitely a big big warning sign things have changed hmm. dramatically uh in 2 weeks in Colorado Springs is the space symposium they'll be talking a lot about these kind of things and for a while there, the leaders were kind of being choosing their words carefully, but nowadays they just come out right say it's a war fighting domain. We have to prepare for fights in space. So. Wow. wow. You, you know, I didn't even know that much about that, uh, about them, you know, shooting and, and uh, shooting things out of space as much. And I'd be curious to find out a little bit more about that because that that goes well beyond the point now of, of kind of a science fiction scenario. That goes into a real life scenario of of using certain weapons in space, you know? Well, we did do that ourselves back in the 60s, 70s, demonstrate the ability to shoot down a satellite from Earth. Mm-hmm. Now you get into all sorts of scenarios where are you going to build a satellite that can destroy another satellite? Mm-hmm. Uh, some people, there have been some Russian satellites that we have observed that have been uh, moving very curiously uh, up around space, and uh, getting close to our satellites, so they're spying on our satellites. We're looking at theirs. We have some uh, satellites that are increasing our space situational awareness. So you have to be aware of two things. you got to be aware of that uh, what the enemy is doing, and right. you also have to be aware of the space junk problem, which is right. getting worse and worse, right. uh, which is... Part of that was there was a big field of debris from that Chinese anti-satellite test in 2007, but that 
satellite that came down uh, this weekend was considered a piece of debris. A piece of debris is something that is in space but no longer serving the function it was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So it was the size of a school bus, and uh, and it was out of control, but it came down, fortunately, in, in the middle of the ocean. So yeah. that, 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 That's scary, Stu. we got to take a quick break. Um, when we come back, I want to get, you know, we, we've got some other great topics, artificial intelligence and, and, and Army robotics and, and where are we going with all these different things. We're talking to Stu Magnuson. He's the editor-in-chief of National Defense Magazine. Stu, give them the website where they can find the magazine at. National Defense Magazine. Outstanding. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on Federal News Radio, 1500 a.m. If you're just joining us, we have been having a great conversation about what's going on with military technology. Um, just even on this first segment, I've been enlightened about uh, what's going on in space and what's happening with uh, hypersonic weapons and everything else in this arms race. Things that we need to know about, because oftentimes we hear about things that are going on in Syria, things that are going on in Iraq, things that are going on on the ground. But there's a lot of stuff that's going on with military technology that we need to know about a lot of developments that are happening that have some very, very big implications on, um, on, on, on all of us, on how we handle things, on how we may fight battles in the future, on how you know our national security policy and how we deal with other countries. So we're talking about that today. We're talking to Stu Magnuson. He's the editor-in-chief of the National Defense Magazine. You can find it at nationaldefensemagazine.org, a great magazine covering all things national defense. And Stu has been an expert on military technology and covering these issues. Stu, AI. You know, we hear AI, artificial intelligence. We've got uh, uh, um, uh, Elon uh, Musk talking about, hey, be careful of AI. This thing is going to take over um, the world and, and, you know, it may become weaponized. We've seen Terminator. If anybody's seen Terminator, uh, we get concerned about that that computer system that begins to take over and no longer follows human command. What are you seeing with AI in terms of the military? Well, I think they might wish that it was that good. <laughs> okay, yeah, but uh, I don't personally uh, have any like Skynet fears uh, right now. They are definitely a, uh, a renewed push in the Pentagon. AI is not new, kind of like mm-hmm. things. This, there's been basically three waves of AI. There's kind of the first wave where where, uh, you know, you had basic programs that could figure things out for you, you know, think like TurboTax or something like that. But these things couldn't be, you had to update it manually if you had new information. Then we got a little bit better in the last five years. Maybe you could program a computer to pick a face out in the crowd, uh, looking for a terrorist, for example. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a little better. Now we want the machines to start thinking for themselves, uh, they want the machines to maybe provide context. Here's a picture. Here's that face in the crowd, but what's the crowd doing? Where is it? And so on. And, and, uh, and kind of give it that, that context. Uh, I think what you're hearing more, the, the phrase is the, the uh, military with the best software is going to win the next war. Hmm. Wow. Now, the first thing you're going to say, what about our great fighting men and women in our forces, of course, you know, the best trained people are going to win, but a lot of the training is done with software. Software touches almost everything nowadays. And if you have software that is superior to the enemy that can move faster, think on its own, be autonomous, 
you're going to have that edge. Or if you have software that has vulnerability to cyber attack, well, now you're vulnerable. Right. So when you when they say that phrase, that's what they're talking about. It's not meant to give the short shrift to the the people who are operating these systems. But you know, remember a lot. They're trained on systems now that are are uh, you know uh, like video games and mm-hmm, so on and mm-hmm. training. So so when they say that, it's it's a really a big deal to get the software right. And you know, we're really way beyond our humans can program this stuff. We need machines to start doing it for us. And uh, in a lot of ways, they can do it a lot better than a human. So. Right, right, right. You know, so as, as, as you're talking, you know, it, it reminds me, when I was in the Marines um, and, and we used to do training, we, we would use some of those, and this was kind of a long, long time ago, so I don't want to date myself too much, but we would do those simulation trainings and it had the screen and everything else. And I know it's come a long way. Is, is AI in terms of, you know, I think about kind of like a, a Star Trek. I'm a little Trekkie sometimes, but they used to have the, in, the new, in the next generation, they had the room and they could, and it could be come yep. real and people you know you could fight people and everything else is is you know is that where we're going with artificial i mean and on the training side i should say is that where we're yeah. going uh with, with you know having a development where you can actually have these real-time scenarios has it gotten to that level yet it's not gotten to the star trek level but you can see the path okay very easily uh starting with the uh virtual reality goggles now those are very cumbersome you don't want to like you know train and these big cumbersome goggles. Right, the next right. generation is going to be glasses, just like your ordinary glasses. Mm. And uh, there's a lot of money in Silicon Valley going towards these uh, uh, augmented reality glasses that is going to mix reality and the things that aren't there. So you're going to look in your glasses. Maybe they'll give them to the soldier in a training exercise and through his glasses, he's going to see a big Soviet tank coming. Mm-hmm. It's not right. really there. Right, right, But right. in we the background, mm-hmm. but he's really looking at the real trees in the road. He's really outside. Wow. That's where it's going, definitely. Wow. Wow, yeah. you know, I, I'm thinking almost like Pokemon. <laughs> you know, had a Pokemon thing, that, and you had the thing on your phone, and it was part of the reality oh. of your world. That's exactly what we're talking about. Wow. So wow. I think, yeah, training and simulation is definitely going in that direction. You know, I mean, with all of that and, and AI, and we kind of speak about kind of the, the dynamics of having the right people and then also the right, uh, uh, you know, the right mixture of software, you know, computers and people. Um, how much is being invested in terms of the training of the people? Because it seems like you got to have a very, very highly technical um, you know, now uh, 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 soldiers, Marines, airmen, you know, Coast Guardsmen and, uh, uh, and uh, sailors and everything else. It seems like you're going to have to have a whole new level of people who can really get along with technology. Well, I think, you know, the next generation coming along is much more comfortable than uh, maybe generation. I don't want to date us. Right. Is that, like is you said, that, right. you know, I don't want to really that, talk about that. <laughs> On the other hand, it's really a trust issue. And that's there's going to be you're going to be seeing a lot of uh, exercises and demonstrations over the next few years mm-hmm. using robots and AI and automation and all this. But at the end of the day, you don't want that soldier, sailor, airman, marine to be thinking a lot about this stuff. They've got a lot to do on their own. Right. That's why we're going towards automation and AI. We want the machines to help and without interfering. So... You're going to have a robot next to you. You have to trust it, mm-hmm. and uh, that's really a big factor. I think that is, you know, a generational split now in the military, the older and the younger. Uh, 
younger might trust these machines more than the older generations, but the older generations are the ones now deciding whether we should field it or not. Well, you know, it makes me think about um, just what's been going on with the Navy. And, and, and you know, we've had a generation that begins to trust technology so much that, you know, sometimes the technology could go awry and, and it may not be picking up certain things that maybe if you were doing a watch standing or you kind of knew your compass and something just went wrong and you could kind of pick up, oh, something went wrong with the technology and we're off course or something of that sort. Right. Uh, it, you know. Is that where we're at? Well, I mean, yeah, you want these machines to assist you and you want to trust them. And, um, you know, I don't think we've duplicated the human mind and brain yet. You know, mm-hmm. despite all this talk about Skynet and so on, uh, nothing's going to be the you know our our instincts that soldier, sailor, airman, marine. Uh, but I'll give you an example. About ten years ago, and we reported first that that the army had sent some armed robots into Iraq. Well, that seemed like a very historic moment. Uh, but in fact, uh, they took these robots and put them behind sandbags. They were never used as uh, they intended them to use, which mm-hmm. would be maybe going around a building so the soldier didn't have to look around for a sniper and take out the sniper without exposing the soldier to any danger. Right, right, right. Well, what happened was shortly before they were sent over there, they had a demonstration in front of all this army brass, and there was an involuntary movement of the machine. In other words, some it moved without someone commanding it to. Mm. Well, in front of all those very important people, they lost trust in it. Right, right. So, the next thing I was thinking the other day, you've seen the Cadillac commercials now where somebody just takes their hands off the wheel right. going down the highway. Right. Well, I'm just thinking, well, the day I can afford a Cadillac... Um, <laughs> That can be pretty nerve-wracking. Right, right, right. right, You know, if you're going down uh, I-95 in traffic and you decide, you know what, I'm taking my hands off the wheel right now, you got to really trust that car. That's true, very much And it's the same for the soldier, sailor, airman, marine. If you're going to send these robots out to assist them, there's really got to be a big trust factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it only takes one time for something catastrophic to happen. So I, I'm, I'm sure it, we're still ways away for to completely implementing these things, you know, especially with something like that happening. Well, nothing's going to be perfect. These mm-hmm. are still machines made by humans, mm-hmm. and bad things, you know, there will be accidents. Uh, you're just going to have to push ahead. I think, and uh, for the next generation, and it will get better and better. Right, right. We'll take a quick break. We're talking to Stu Magnuson. He is the editor-in-chief of National Defense Magazine. He's giving us a breakdown about what's going on with military technology, a lot of interesting developments uh, that, that I think we need to just stay abreast of, a lot of a lot of exciting things, but, you know, a lot of things that uh, we need to begin thinking about in terms of national security policy and, and, and where does technology take us and how do we use it and how is it not abused and how do we make sure that our country is safe, but then how do we also deal with threats around the world? So there's a lot of di- things to think about when we deal with all these issues. We're going to take a quick break. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM.
Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Deutsch from Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. If you're just joining us, we've been talking about military technology. We've been talking about what's going on. What are the advancements? What are the, the developments that are happening in this industry right now? It's not only us in the United States, but it's people all around the world who are thinking about this as well. There's countries all around the world who are working on military technology in terms of kind of thinking about the future, uh, hypersonic uh, 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 weapons, you know, jets and everything else, things that can go Mach 5, Mach 10, uh, uh, and that, that really has a lot of implications. Space war, a lot of things going on in space right now, artificial intelligence, a lot of things happening in that area right now with, you know, allowing technology to be able to do things and automate a process and and respond to certain things and maybe even fight battles or, or things of that sort. So there's a lot of things that are going on and as technology gets better and better. We're seeing more and more kind of either concerns, but also more exciting developments that are happening with technology. We're talking to Stu Magnuson. He is the editor in chief of National defense magazine they're going to be celebrating what is it sue 80 years or what is it how many years 100 years 100 100 years they're going to be celebrating 100 years being around uh covering these issues so they are some of the experts on national security you can find the magazine at nationaldefensemagazine.org so always check it out it's free to check out and they they do a lot of different things uh especially in this industry with contracts technology the acquisition process and everything else Stu. When we look at, uh, you know, we were talking about artificial intelligence, and this kind of goes to where we're talking about next, the robotics, right? Army robotics, and then maybe just robotics in the military. What are we seeing going on with with robots? Like I said earlier, you're going to start seeing a lot of demonstrations uh, of this kind of thing, especially teaming, uh, man-to-man teaming, Hmm. where the robot is assisting in some way with the the human. And... uh, like I said, there's going to be a lot, a lot of tests and demonstrations, but the big question we have now is, is this stuff actually going to make its way into the fighting force? And that's really not too clear, because we have this big beast known as the acquisition system, uh, kind of uh, as a little bit of a detriment uh, to fielding new technologies in a timely manner. Exactly. You know, with all of that, I mean, and, and, and what are you seeing in terms of, 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 of you know, Congress and, and, and robots? Are they, ex- I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, you've got uh, the, the military industrial uh, industry is, is really excited about this technology. So I'm sure you've got all the contractors who are working on these big projects. Have you seen the support in Congress in terms of budgets, in terms of funding these projects? Is that there? Well, I think, as we all know, that there was the, you know, sequestration, the Budget Control mm-hmm, Act, uh, mm-hmm. and so on, and the, and, uh, the Army really got kind of hurt on its modernization accounts. It decided it needed its money for readiness in case something happened, and mm-hmm. training, and so on. So modernization got the short shrift. I think they are ready with this kind of new funding. We had a $659 billion appropriation uh, f- for uh, this fiscal year, 10% uh, over last year. Uh, the restrictions were dropped for a couple years. So good times are here again. Now the Army has this chance. Is it going to take it? And they know they have a chance to modernize, and they don't want to blow it, and they're making a lot of moves to uh, hopefully integrate a lot of these robotic systems and things that they've been wanting to do for a long time. Right. Uh, they have the chance, and uh, there are a lot of cynics out there. There are a lot of pessimists because the Army has 
got a pretty bad reputation for acquiring new technology. They've had some billion-dollar programs that were canceled, the Comanche helicopter in 2004, then this big, uh, what they call the future combat system, Mm -hmm. which was supposed to integrate a lot of robotics. That got canceled in 2009 after billions and billions spent. So uh, they've got a lot to prove, but there's some, I'm cautiously optimistic. There's some some good things that have happened. They uh, have fielded the joint-like tactical vehicle. Uh, It is under budget and on schedule, and those are two words you barely, rarely <laughs> very, see in headlines. Very rarely see in headlines with military. For any right? military yeah. program. <laughs> exactly. That's the replacement for the uh, Humvee. Right. So they, they did really well with that, and if they can maybe apply some of the lessons from that program uh, to what they're going to be trying to do to modernize, and uh, you know, that that that'd be good. That's a truck. It's pretty, you know, it's a truck, so it's not mm-hmm. the most complicated, right. uh, sophisticated not, not, not the sexiest thing. thing out there, but it's functional. But it's very yeah. important mm-hmm. that they, they did, you know, field and deliver this on time and on schedule. Right. So next, right. can right. they can they deliver a robotic combat vehicle that's semi-autonomous? That's, a, you know, the next step. You, you know, when, when, when you think about this kind of stuff, and, 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 and you've been covering this, what does robotics look like? I mean, in, in, a, in a utopian scenario, if, if, and maybe a, vi- a visionary or a strategist in the military, what does robotics look like for, you know, I mean, if, if on a battlefield, is it, is it a walking, um, you know, a walking systems that are able to shoot like a Star Wars or whatever the case mm-hmm. is? Is it, is it just a drone? And then you've got maybe a couple, you've got maybe fewer soldiers and then you've got a number of robots who are engaging the enemy. Uh, you know, we've seen those kind of instruments that ca- can carry a heavy load for robots. Yep. Those dogs, those uh, type the robotic dogs. Robotic mules. The robotic yeah. mules. Yep. What is what is a, a futuristic uh, robotic human scenario look like? I think they're all going to do all sorts of tasks. And like you mentioned, the robotic mule. That's that's uh, basically helping the soldiers carry their heavy loads. And there's, that's a really interesting program to keep tab of right now too. Um, yeah, they could also be lethal. Now, right now, the military uh, has a policy that nobody pulls the trigger but a human. Mm, okay, okay. And uh, that's the policy, and it could change. Mm. Uh, are the Chinese and the Russians going to instigate the same policy? Right, Not sure. necessarily. Sure. We yeah. have to think about that. Our rivals uh, may play by a different set of rules. So, and we uh, may be seeing. I mean, are, are we possibly may be seeing terror? I mean, as, as robotics becomes uh, cheaper and and more accessible, we may even see terrorist organizations who don't have the same, uh, uh, you know, rules of the game, and and and, uh, well, and and go from there. No, we are, we're already seeing uh, uh, ISIS and so on. They've they've employed uh, unmanned uh, aerial systems to either spy on our forces or deliver low yield explosives. And that's of great concern right now to the mm-hmm. military. They're working a lot of counter drone systems and approaching that from various directions. And uh, yeah, they uh, they they don't have an acquisition system. They just take a robot they've taken off the shelf, stick some explosives on it, see if it works. Right, right, right. And uh, and that's that's a danger. You know, and and, and with all of this, uh, I guess the concern of this almost to me seems about coming to the homeland 
I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, where it, when you've got this, uh, you know, we've got this technology that's coming out. We see the, like you said, the inexpensive drones, the other things like that. We, you know, in D.C., I, I don't know if you've seen, we, you see robots that are on the streets delivering food mm-hmm. or they're testing those mm-hmm. things out. Um, you know, I mean, it, 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 it kind of becomes, I mean, as much as we like it, that thing can then be kind of turned into something else. Well, maybe, but I think the military can take some of the development in the commercial private sector mm-hmm. and, and maybe adopt it and uh, for their own use. Uh, yeah, you're right. They could be any, anything made by man, you know, can have a dual purpose. Right. Uh, but I think really right now the, the military is desperately trying to tap into the innovation they see in Silicon Valley and the robotics that going around around Boston, Pittsburgh, and all these places, and uh, they've 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 been over the last couple of years trying to tap into this innovation going on to the private sector, and it's 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 been hard because of this acquisition system I talked about. If you have a little company that that uh, has never dealt with the military, and then you're suddenly trying to do business with it. Suddenly, you got this big, massive thing called the Federal Acquisition mm-hmm, Regulation. Mm-hmm. Now you have to have your accounting practices match what they want. You have to hire attorneys to figure out this big system. And most of these companies just say it's not worth my time. Right, right. right and so right. the military is missing out on a lot of the great innovation. This nation, no reason why it can't put a lot of distance between it. it our military and the Chinese and Russian military. We right. have the greatest universities in the world. We have this network of federally financed research facilities uh, and, and universities and all this great stuff here in Silicon Valley, of course, is this this engine of innovation. But we're having a problem tapping into it, and the, uh, there's been some various uh, efforts going on to do that. You know what? And, and you hit you hit it right on the nose. I mean, we, we've got all these great places, these great minds, these young these young minds that are coming up who are really really innovative, and and, and a lot of them are uh, frustrated if they try to get into government or deal with government, just not on the buying side, on the clearance side, on a number of different things. Mm-hmm. Are, are 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 we starting to get at least some people in the military who are saying? Listen, we've got to maybe change this up, uh, you know, in terms of these partnerships where, uh, of course, we got to keep things safe. Of course, we got to do things in a certain kind of way, but we can maybe create a, a, almost maybe a, a, a startup, uh, the startup mentality, right? Or, you know, kind right. of the, the incubator mentality where you can move things quicker. Is that happening? It is happening. Now, can these technologies that are being done under some of these things we have? Uh, Special Operations Command started something called SoftWorks. Mm-hmm. And they purposely put the office outside of the base in Ybor City in Tampa mm-hmm. and have open-door policy, come on in and show us your cool gadgets or bring us your great ideas. Right. You don't have to go through the rigmarole of going through the base. Well, AFWorks followed. That's the Air Force uh, equivalent. And... Uh, the Army has, is starting its Army's Futures Command. They're looking for a city to host that, and they say, no, we're not going to be in a base. We're going to be in some downtown area or somewhere in a city where we're mm-hmm. accessible, where the, anyone can come in and show us an idea. And uh, the Navy 
just announced something similar last week. Uh, they didn't have a very catchy name, in my opinion, the <laughs> Naval Innovation Process Adoption. <laughs> they, or, or well, NIPA. Maybe somebody will hear this show and they'll be like, oh, we got to change this. <laughs> well, it's not quite as catchy as AppWorks or SoftWorks uh, or the Army Futures Command, but right. they're trying to get at the same thing, tap into the innovation in Silicon Valley in this case, and do some prototyping, what they call rapid prototyping, mm-hmm. show that this can work. But now you have a prototype. What do you do with it? Right. Now we've got something interesting happening the last year, and it's called the Other Transaction Authority. Mm, okay. And it's a contracting vehicle that some people are calling a loophole. I call it kind of an end run around the federal acquisition regulation. And it was around for years, and it was designed to let universities, small businesses, non-traditional contractors develop prototypes rapidly for the military so the military can try them out and see if that's something they want. Well, what happened is a couple budget cycles ago, the Congress changed the law just a little bit to say that once you have those prototypes, and you're happy with it, you can go ahead and procure them in quantities. Okay, okay. So, uh, we mentioned earlier the robotic uh, mule, which is called actually the Squad Mission Support Vehicle. They have wanted that forever. The Army has wanted something like that, and uh, it's been a requirement for a long time. They've done experiments for 10 years. They even sent some into Afghanistan for a while, and they performed really well, and the soldiers were apparently very happy with them. But we still, you know, like I said, we didn't uh, didn't have a big budget for whatever reason, maybe uh, some resistance culturally to these things. Well, they're going to do this, use this OTA, this other transaction authority, to, uh, they've got four contractors. They're going to buy 20 of these each from them, and they're going to spend a year putting them through the paces, you know, seeing how far they can go with them. Mm-hmm. So they they... They get wrecked or whatever, and then they're going to use this OTA to basically uh, buy up to 5,700 of them. Wow. That's a huge deal. So that's going to be very interesting to see the Army uh, use this OTA. And I think if they can successfully do that, a lot of other, the Navy, Air Force, they're all getting into these OTAs recently. There's a big... There's $100 million for space uh, systems to be spent. It's a pot of money. Right, right. And there's going to be more. So, But, you know, what Congress giveth, Congress can take, take it away. away. <laughs> and on that they, point, hold, 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 start, hold that, Stu. Hold that yeah. real quick because we're going we okay. to we go into the last segment. It's going to be a short segment. I, I didn't want to stop you because you were just giving such good information. But we got to take a really, really quick break. We're listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch from Federal News Radio. We're talking to Stu Magnuson. He's the editor-in-chief of National Defense Magazine. We're talking about military technology. We've been having a great conversation. A lot of interesting things that are going on. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch from Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. 
Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. If you're just joining us, we have been having an interesting conversation about military technology, about what's going on in the industry right now, some new developments. A lot of things are happening right now, and, and a lot of positive things, it seems, is going on in terms of government looking at technology, and also government maybe uh, partnering with the private sector a little bit more to kind of move innovation down the road a little bit better. That's always been a big problem for our government, but definitely been a big problem for our military as well with that federal acquisition process. We're going to be talking about this. we got a few minutes to talk about it. We've been talking to Stu Magnuson. He is the editor-in-chief of National Defense Magazine. You can find it at nationaldefensemagazine.org. But, Stu, talk to us about, I mean, you were talking about this OT. I mean, it, it, it sounds very exciting. I mean, just the dynamic of kind of changing and, and, and slimming this whole process down. Um, I, 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 when, when do we see the, the true benefits of that or the, or the true of the trueness of the implementation of that? Is that going to be right now or is that 2018, 2019? And then what, what do you see as the future of where military technology is going as far as what you're covering? What should we be looking at? Okay, well, just getting back to the OTA to kind of finish my thought from before, uh, Earlier, you know, I was, like a lot of people, bashing the acquisition system, but it's there for a reason, and that's to make sure the taxpayers get a value and junk doesn't end up in the hands of our warfighters, something they can't use or is not working properly. So it, it might have gone too far, but that's its basic purpose. So uh, getting back to that uh, robotic mule, if, if, if at the end of the day they, they field something that that uh, doesn't work very well, well, the next thing you know, somebody in the Army's on 60 Minutes explaining why they spent uh, all this money on something that didn't work, and nobody wants to be in that position. So uh, I think if Congress sees that the OTAs, they're taking it too far, if they don't do some rigorous test and evaluation, uh, that, you know, it, it, you know, there is a risk of that. So uh, that's kind of what I wanted to say about yeah. OTAs. Um, What's next? I think, you know, if you listen to the Army leaders, uh, they are very high on autonomy, uh, artificial intelligence to help out with that. Uh, they are very pro-robotics. Uh, you know, if you can take a warfighter out of the way of harm and uh, put a robot in its path, that's good, you know, and... Yeah. Uh, and the Army, for example, said we're all about lethality now and getting our people home safe. And uh, robotics is the path to that. Do, do you think, Stu, that, that we're talking about, you know, I mean, there's always ebbs and flow in terms of recruitment, right? You know, in terms of sometimes we need more people, sometimes we don't. Are military leaders looking at robotics as a dynamic to kind of say, hey, we we need less people and we can use this robotics as a, a force multiplier? Are we looking at a smaller military, but that's more lethal because of, of certain kind of weapons? No, I think they're looking at more of we can free up these guys to do other things. Okay, okay. Uh, I don't think they're looking at uh, reducing end strength. They've just got some gains in the last budget, I think. Uh, you know, the Air Force took a hit over the last 10 years on personnel. I think they're really looking at, okay, if we can have a convoy of, of trucks, uh, instead of having two soldiers in each truck, we'll have one soldier in the lead truck, and the rest of them will be robotic vehicles. Mm -hmm. Now we've got 20 soldiers that could either uh, uh, be doing something else, mm -hmm. or they could be looking out the window. Mm-hmm 
for mm-hmm. threats right. instead of driving right. the vehicle. Right. So I don't think they're, uh, yeah, they are looking for it as a force multiplier, but I don't think they're looking at it as a, a means to reduce their numbers. And, and so we, that's, the, that's the thing that people should really be paying attention to in terms of where we're headed with this robotics, where we're headed with this artificial intelligence. Those are the things that are going to be constantly, that's where that money is going to be going in the next few years. That's right. And I just want to say something about the traditional defense contractors. They're very much in the game. They they have been doing this for years. And uh, sometimes when the defense leaders say we're looking for innovation out in Silicon Valley or non-traditional people, they're saying, hey, what about us? We're, uh, we've got a lot of innovation in our labs. Right. And that's true. Right. So uh, you can't just say innovation is just out in Silicon Valley, it's 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 everywhere, and you got to tap all these resources right. inside and out That's the military right. industry. We've been talking to Stu Magnuson. Stu, just thank you so much for the insight. We're going to definitely have to have you back. This has been a great conversation. Uh, he's the editor-in-chief of National Defense Magazine. You can find it at nationaldefensemagazine.org. We'll be celebrating 100 years for their magazine. Uh, definitely check out what Stu is doing, his uh, his article, his uh, his thing where he's going to be looking to the to the old days of the Army Ordnance days all the way up, up to the future and everything else. Thank you, Stu, for coming on. Well, thanks for having me on, Derek. You've been listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com.